We are Kevin and Rachel Maynard, and we serve overseas in the Middle East. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts 20, 16 through 37. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. When they accompanied him to the ship, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kevin and Rachel. Welcome home. Well, we're now... uh, midst of this time where so many people are sending off our kids or maybe some of you are some of those who've been sent off and have come to Caltech or have come to Fuller. We send our kids off to kindergarten, first grade, what, junior high, senior high, college, grad school. Always it's kind of a traumatic time. You know, both joy and tears. Our daughter Heather, back in Wheaton, Illinois, sent our oldest uh, grandchild off to first grade. I have a picture. I have to show it to you. You've got to show this. There we go. Uh, we, I do have a picture. There's your first day, first grade. That's Riley. She just lost her two teeth, just in case you see it. Now, now you know that when we uh, send people that we love off to a, a new place, we always want to give some parting words, some, some instructions. And I thought, what do we say? So I asked the world expert in giving parting words to kids, 
uh, Pastor Carol Kenyon, what she would say. She sent off six kids, six kids. I think she got the last one off just recently. And within 15 seconds of me emailing her, I had a whole page full of things. And I just, I'll give you just a few of them. Okay, watch your new address. Listen to God and to yourself. It's okay if the thing you want to do turns out to be something different. Uh, chase down Christian community. Don't do this alone. Oh, here's your insurance card. Uh, call me. When may I visit? Don't go. I love you. Uh, all those things just had that ring of truth to me. Because when we're separated for a while from people that we love, you always have some important things that you want to say. And sometimes, kind of like Carol's list, uh, the emotion is so great that it isn't really linear thinking. It isn't organized, one, two, three, four, five. But all those important things come flooding out. Do you know what I mean? If you can grasp that, you'll really appreciate this passage that we're looking at today and that, that Kevin and Rachel just read for us. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the Apostle Paul had been in Ephesus for three years. I mean, he'd founded the church there, and not only that, different from other churches, he had pastored that church for three years, but then he'd gone away, and he'd most recently been in a city called Troas. And I'll show you a map just so you can sort of envision what's going on here. So in the map, see up there, number nine, that's Troas. Well, he really wants to get all the way down here to Jerusalem. He said, really in a hurry to get down there by the time of Pentecost. And you see that in taking the boat from Troas down that way, it'll take him near to Ephesus. And the, the port city was Miletus, right down there. It's about 30 miles uh, from Ephesus. When you read this uh, letter, it, it, it uses very strong language. To the uh, elders of the church, spiritual leaders, he summoned them to come. He says, you've got to get here. And sometimes you wonder, why such strong lines? We've got to get together. This is not an optional meeting. You have to show up. And they had to travel 30 miles. Now, it's kind of like going down to O'Hare, but remember, they didn't have cars, and they didn't have helicopters to get them down there. So this was quite a trip. But the reason was, uh, he thought this would be the very last time he would ever see them. And um, he thought he was going to die in Jerusalem, but he didn't die. But I don't think he ever got back to see them. But, but as a, a pastor who loves his people, he had some very important words he wanted to, to say to them. And when he was close, he wanted to be able to get together. So the speech that we look at, a rather long one that was read to us today, is different from any other speech that we have in Acts. And there are a lot of them. In the others, they are more the kind of message that you give to, in a public place to a group of people calling people to faith in Jesus and talking about the resurrection. But this is one of a, of a pastor to people. It's just so obvious that they love one another. It's, it's filled with all of that, that emotion that is there. He, he tells uh, some of the story of their history together. Um, Kind of like Carol's List, it has these shifting topics and some things repeated, they, they come back again. But he highlights the things that are the most important to him. Now, I think most of you know that after seven years, can you believe that Chris and I have been here for seven years, uh, I have the privilege, the church gives the privilege to the senior pastor to have a three-month sabbatical. I'm not exhausted, I'm not worn out, I still love you. I had a, uh, it's just a great, great uh, privilege um, and I don't want to liken what I'm doing um, to what happened here. 
Uh, I'm going to Chicago and I could die. I mean, that's possible in, in Chicago, don't, don't you think? But really, Lord willing, I, I'm planning to be back with you in three months. November 24th, we plan to be back with you again. Chris is going to be with me some of the time. But she has work here to do, so you'll see her up in the choir. Lord willing, we'll be back here together. What I thought I would do, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm the Apostle Paul. Um, I didn't found this church. This church has been here 119 years. I wasn't here back then. But I just found that his words are, are so insightful, and they, they kind of formed for me a way that a pastor talks to his people. So I'm going to talk about the same things for a few moments. First, he, he talked just some of the reflections of their life together as a church family. And, and it circles all the way through these things. This is how I tried to live. He would say, this is how we experience life together. You see it in verses 18 to 21. comes back in verse 27. He comes back in verse 31. He comes back in verse 33. He, he wanted the people to remember how he had lived his life and what they had experienced as a, a pastor and the people with one another. Now, I'll just tell you this. <clears throat> Some scholars have criticized the Apostle Paul for the way he spoke. They said he's arrogant. Because he says, you saw how I lived. I didn't take anybody's gold. And the way I worked is the way that people should work. Uh, as, as the scripture was being read, did it have a feeling of arrogance to you? It's not the way we usually talk in our, in our world. Um, but I'm telling you, I think it is a cross-cultural situation. So let me tell you this. The Apostle Paul never pretended uh, that he was perfect yet. Uh, one of the verses that I hold on to is Philippians 3.12, in which he would say some of the similar things to the church in Philippi, but then he would stop and say, but I'm not telling you that I have attained it yet, but I am telling you this, he said, I press on. I press on to that high calling in Jesus. I am pursuing a life that is eventually going to be conformed to Jesus. So as I read this particular text, what I see Paul saying to his people is this. I'm not going to pretend to you that I'm perfect, but I'll tell you, I am following the Lord Jesus, and I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. And in so many ways, I hope you sense, I, I want to say to you, some of the things I have longed to do. The Apostle Paul said that he had always longed to deliver the whole counsel of God to to, to bring the message that God had given to him, to call people to faith. And I, I've sought to be faithful to that. I've sought that if, if you've come and you, and you weren't sure that there's a God, that, that I'll tell you there is. He is real. He is to be known. You can know him as your father through faith in the Lord Jesus, calling you to repentance, turn your life over to him and to come alive to God. For the, for the rest of us, week after week, we come together and open the word and to see areas of our lives that are not yet what they should be and call you to surrender and obedience. It's ought to be faithful to that task. But the one thing I want to remind you of today about our life together is that God uh, led Chris and me to this place. We're a congregational church and you had to vote on it, but you were just voting to affirm what God was doing. And we made a choice to come, but really we were just kind of following the wave of God and coming here. So I'm going to tell you that if you're new, you don't know this story. Um, I have followed Jesus for over 55 years of my life. See, I had wow, yeah, that's, can you believe it? Man, oh man, that's a long, long time. Um, it's been, been, been wonderful. But you know, the way our father leads his children, it's almost as if 
each one of us is the only child. He leads us in different ways. It's always consistent with this word. But one of the things that I have seen in the way that God has led me throughout my life is in those, in those major decision-making times. Uh, he has sent to me an older mentor, a Christian leader, who has spoken into my life. I don't know if you've had that happen. For a long time, it was a man named Dr. Will Norton. Uh, he had been the president of Trinity International University, where I was the president. He was there from 1956 to 1962. Dr. Norton is now almost 100 years old. And, and he's still speaking at commencements in different places. So I'm telling you, it's, a, it's great. But again and again, I met him. He was the, not only the president at Trinity, but had become the, the dean of the graduate school at Wheaton. And that's where I got to know him. And uh, in major times of my life, uh, when I was praying about going to Germany, uh, coming back from Germany, uh, taking different church places, uh, either he would call or I would call him seek counsel, and God used him again and again uh, to, to further God's guidance in my life. I, I call that sort of the fingerprints of God. You start as you walk with him sort of discerning how God leads, and I find that he does it in consistent ways in our individual lives. Well, the last 20 years, the person that God has used perhaps most often is Paul Cedar, who was once the pastor here. But I really got to know Paul well just after he had left Lake Avenue Church and became the president of the Evangelical Free Church of America, where I hold uh, my ordination credentials. Uh, the first time, and Chris, you remember this well, I'd been a pastor in two different free churches. I was in the second one in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. When, lo and behold, one day out of the blue, the, uh, the president of the free church is coming to visit one of his pastors. I thought that was pretty amazing that he would do that. And as he came in, I said, this is great. Oh, I can't believe you do this. He said, well, yeah, I, I liked it. But really, I've come with an agenda. And this, he said, you know, our uh, denominational university uh, is looking for a new president. I wasn't really satisfied with the list that we saw. So we began praying fervently at home office um, about this. And as I was praying... The Spirit of God brought your face to my mind. So I thought, I'm going to catch the next plane. I came down here. So here's what, I, Greg, if you'll just throw your hat in the ring, take the first step in that, see how God leads you. And you know what happened? Uh, kicking and screaming, God led me into a place I would have never chosen, and it was such a blessing. Twelve years as the, the president there at Trinity. Well, it was about eight years ago. Again, out of the blue, I got this... Uh, call from Paul Cedar. Brother Greg, he said, how are you doing? You know what I was, I was with a group of people at this church I love with my whole heart and they are looking for a pastor and as we were praying together, the Spirit of God brought your face to my mind and I've come down to tell you, you should just put your hat in the ring if you'll just take the first step, see how God will lead you. And I'll tell you, if any of you remember that time, it was about seven and a half years ago, uh, I know we had to go through all of the things and background checks, all these things were done, but it was like we just rode the wave of God's Spirit to this place. It felt like we didn't even have to make a decision. And so as I think about it, in, in good times and bad, I've held on to that. Lord, this isn't just my choice. This isn't our choice. You have called us together. And then this time when we're just away for three months, I, I think he's going to call us back together. Um, now, I can't say that for sure, 
because you remember we had that sermon, sermon series in James. And in James 4.13, James says, You and I don't even know what tomorrow holds, much less three months from now. So how do we pray? Do you remember the sermon I did? If the Lord wills. That, that Deo Valente, D-V, if the Lord wills, we're going to be back together November 24th. So I wanted to remind you of that as well. And until we come back together, let us seek the Lord together. Let us trust the Lord together across the miles. Just wanted to remind you a little bit of our lives together. It just gives me a lot of confidence in times like this. Number two, um, I, I want to remind you, as Paul did, of what holds us together, no matter where we are. And he summarizes it, but if I can even summarize what he does, uh, two words. We're held together by truth and tears. Truth and tears. Truth. Again and again through this letter. And I wouldn't put a few of the verses, but again and again, Paul will say things like in verse 24, remember, I've always wanted to give witness to the good news, the gospel is the word that he used, the gospel of God's grace. And something very similar to it down in verse 27. He said, what I've tried to teach you and preach you is the whole counsel of God's will. And he wanted to make sure that in his absence, this word and, and the main focus, the gospel message that is at the heart of the word of God would be the thing that is proclaimed, is taught, and that holds us together. So, so the thing that holds God's people together, a part of it is the truth about God, about the world, and about yourself that is revealed in this word. Now, I've, I've got to stop for a minute with you here. Because for anybody to get up in the 21st century world and say that truth unites us is countercultural. Uh, people always say, you just believe whatever you want. Uh, when they, they say doctrine divides. And, and some of the biggest trouble that, that you sometimes have in churches is that people will deviate from the main doctrines of the, of the Bible and sort of latch on to some small thing, make that the main thing, and then divide the church. And that's what's happening back there too. He said, among your own midst, some wolves are going to come in try to pull you away from the main body. So, so what I've sought to do and what we're going to continue to do here is to make sure that the heart of the gospel is proclaimed, taught, understood and embraced. And that's what we're going to do in these months when I, I am away. See, truth, when you think about it, if there is anything true about these big issues, about is there a God and what is God like? Uh, what is our world like? Where is it headed? What am I like? What's gone wrong? And how can I know God and be made right again? These are the things that have always held God's people together. And as we come and we seek what is true together, the way that Paul talks about it, again and again, and I preached about it, that we listen to one another and reason with one another and search God's word together. You see, what happens is that we come closer to the truth, we come closer to one another. Does that make sense to you? So what we're going to do over these next few months is take an opportunity to think about the big issues related to the gospel. They're the most exciting parts of our faith. I can't believe I'm going to miss it. Uh, but I'll be studying it with you. It's, you know, it's been so much of my heart and I've been involved in helping put the material together. In our worship services, we're going to be um, 
having celebration related to each one of these in your mid-sized classes all the way from childhood through senior adults we're, we're going to be thinking and teaching more carefully about them in small groups you'll be able to talk about these things and think about what difference they make in your individual life and uh, in your personal lives our pastors have developed uh, devotional materials so that they can go deep into your personal heart and, and, and into your soul uh, because I, I believe if we will know the heart of the gospel, the truth, this, this gospel of God's grace, this whole counsel of God, it will hold us together. When I come back, uh, I, I'm going to look out and see people who know the heart of our faith more fully, and I pray you'll see a pastor who does too. So we're held together by truth, but we're also held together by tears. What do I mean by that? I've written here, our heartfelt compassion for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's one of the things I love about being a follower of Jesus. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Yes, we seek the truth together. And that's an important part of what holds us together. But it's also a relationship. When we know the truth, that the truth is that when we receive Jesus into our lives, He makes us alive to God. And that means we get to know God as our Father. That's the way He communicates Himself to us. That's family talk. And we're brought into... This is the part that's sometimes harder for people. We're brought into one family with one another. Brothers and sisters. That's what we are. Brothers and sisters. And in a brother-sister relationship, in a family relationship, there are often tears. Right? Sometimes tears of joy. Sometimes tears of pain. Sometimes tears of parting. So I I thought about this matter of tears in these ways. Uh, One, that we're held together by tears that we have for our brothers and sisters all over the world who are broken and in distress. That's a part of why Jeff and Myra and I uh, prayed together uh, a few moments ago uh, with you. Look at verse 21. There's something there I don't want you to miss. Uh, Paul said, I have declared to both, and notice this, my version says Jews and Greeks. Uh, That can confuse you. That means Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. That's everybody. So everybody in Ephesus, he said, I've declared to you that you have to turn to God, the one God, in repentance, and you both have to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here. This matter of that he says, Jews and Greeks, I've preached the same thing and you've come together in faith is very important for these elders from Ephesus. Later, Paul would be in prison and he would write a letter to the same church. And you know what the big issue was in the letter to the Ephesians? I preached the whole series of messages about it. They had both Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians in the church, but they didn't want to be in the chain church family together. And the message of Ephesians starts out by declaring, Praise be the God of our Father, who has had an eternal plan. And the eternal plan is to have one family that glorifies Him, made up of people of every tribe and language and nation. Jesus has come to shed His blood. The plan has always been there. That's what God has always wanted to do. He declared it to Abraham. The only mystery was, he says, how it was going to happen. And it's happened in Christ, who died for the sins of the entire world. All can come to God, into the family of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the mystery. And for anybody who comes into the family, he goes on to say, you can't say, I don't really want those people to be in my family, because it's not your family, he said. Jews and Greeks, he would say, you were dead in your sins. 
And dead things can't bring themselves to life. The only hope we have to be alive is that God has to come in and by grace and mercy do something for us we don't deserve. And that's what He's done. He's lavished His love on us through the blood of Jesus Christ so that it is not by... To my, uh, by my works. It is by grace we have all been saved. It comes through faith in the Lord Jesus, not of works lest anyone should boast. So here, knowing that they had that problem, he says, remember, I have preached this to you, just Jews and non-Jews. Now, the issue here, make note of this, is that when we come into God's family, he brings us into a family of people very different from one another. And when we come into a family where, where we're of such different backgrounds and cultures and experiences and sometimes even first languages, sometimes we don't understand one another well, right? And it, and it takes a lot of humility to stop because people have different perceptions of things, different interests and tastes in things, different experiences in this world. So we have to take some time uh, to listen and to understand one another if we're going to walk together. You're with me here. Okay, this is like a marriage. This is like a marriage. Brian Loritz, who used to be one of the pastors here, has written about this in such a clear and powerful way. He said, uh, men, most men, not all, but most, uh, we like when there's a problem with a relationship, to sort of just get me the facts and I'll fix it. Just get me the facts and we'll fix it. Calm down, all this emotion, put it away, get me the facts. Facts and fix. You can write that down. And then we find out that it's not fixed. Uh, and if we listen, uh, we begin to realize that something has happened that brings up a lot of history and deep feelings. Um, sometimes the very words we speak or, or a gesture that we use will bring up uh, a history of abuse or abandonment. And so just getting the facts and saying, calm down, we'll fix it, doesn't fix it. If we can take time to actually listen and go deep, our marriages will be better. They'll come closer to one another. If you see that, I, I, I really think that might help us to understand what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri right now with the shooting of the 18-year-old Michael Brown. H have you noticed how this is affecting not only the St. Louis area, but but our brothers and sisters of color all over our nation. Have, have you, do you know that? Uh, as I listen to the news media, whether it's CNN or Fox, uh, they just sort of address it by a, get me the facts and fix it. You know, how big was he and what was he doing in the store and just facts and fix. Not realizing, perhaps not even having any understanding of the fact that there might be a whole lot of history uh, that, that comes with and, uh, deep, deep feelings. And uh, this week, so I got on the phone with, with friends, Pastor Kerwin Manning in our city and, and Pastor Gene Birch in our city. Got, started emailing back and forth with Bishop Ken Ulmer from down at Faithful Central and said, help this old white guy to understand what's going on here. And, and they really helped me to understand uh, that they have seen this happen in our cities again and again and again. The years of violence against young black men in our country, non-stop epi episodes that continue on of unarmed young uh, black men in our city who are, who are shot, um, so that when something like that happens, it brings up all of that emotion, all of those things. And so we, I think in those situations, when we know 
that when I see other brothers and sisters in Christ that I really respect and appreciate and I find out that they are hurting and I can't quite understand it, I need to take some time and listen. And I know this, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 12, that when they are weeping, what do we do? We weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And we seek to have greater understanding. And we've got to love, we've got to listen, we've got to care, and we've got to pray as a family prays for one another. For the situation that's happening now to uncover all that's wrong. Did you know that one uh, African-American man every 28 hours, unarmed, is shot in the United States? That's not right. Let's pray for a deeper understanding of what causes all that anger that we see and for a more profound repentance to take place. And above all things, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ can actually walk together. Uh, God has entrusted to, to governments the responsibility of bringing about justice. When laws are broken, they must do that. They don't always do it well. God at the end will make sure that justice is done. But our responsibility is to be involved in reconciliation. And I'm praying this is a place where uh, churches... Uh, across often the racial and ethnic divides. Our church, we have people from everywhere that actually will come together, pray together, and demonstrate to a broken world that there is a oneness in Christ. Amen. Uh, so, we have, so we weep together when our brothers and sisters are hurting. Do you see that? The other time where tears draw us together is when brothers or sisters are going to be parted from us. Some of the most poignant verses. Do you have your Bible? Verses 36 and following. I feel this one. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. So he prayed. One. They all wept. They prayed and wept. And they embraced him. Three. And four, they kissed him. They prayed. They wept, they embraced, and they kissed. I think we should do at least three out of four. (laughs) I'll pick pray, weep, and embrace. And then this line is so good. What grieved them the most was a statement that they would never see his face again. And then picture this. Then they accompanied him to the ship. All right, now this is like a family. Uh, in my family, we would have Thanksgiving meal and I would have to go back off to college. So what do you do? You say goodbye and you weep and you embrace there at the dining room table. Then you walk on over uh, to the door and there you weep and embrace and say goodbye again and then you open the door. Then you walk out the door and you talk. Do you do, you do this in your family? You talk and weep and embrace. Then you walk out to the car together and you do the very same thing. And then when you get into the car, you roll down the windows... <laughs> That's what I think is happening here. This is why this is so true to life. Uh, And I feel it even today as I'm here with you. Uh, I read through his letter to the people in Ephesus. And you know what he called his church people? He called them a household of faith. Ephesians 2.19. He said we're people who are no longer strangers. We're God's people. He said, we are a people built together by God. We're a place where He dwells in us. And then the phrase I think I like the most is 314. We're a family kneeling together before our Father, the one from whom our whole family derives its name. Brothers and sisters, that's what we are as well. Um, I really feel that as 
no matter what size our church is, how many services we have, as we draw closer to our Father and closer to one another, this kind of love for one another will even grow. Do you know I love this church? Have, Have you noticed these seven years that when I don't preach, I still come to church? Did anybody notice that? I always think maybe I should go hear somebody else preach. But I, I think, oh, I want to hear Jeff Madison or Jeff Lee. I, I just, I want to be here. And, he, and so these three months, is, it's hard to imagine. But I always, always want you to remember this, that what holds us together is that we are committed to the truth revealed in this word and that God has knit our hearts together. Truth and tears. I, I better get to the last words. Now, directives to do the most important things. Parents, when you send your kids out, you tell them you love them, but you also say, now here are some things you've got to do. And my daughter told me what she told Riley when she went to first grade. Here it is. So, Riley, you're going to have so much fun. I love you. And I'm happy that you're getting to be so big. And I'll be here to meet you as soon as school is over. And if you have to blow your nose, make sure you grab a Kleenex from Mrs. Carlson's box. You know what's going on there. So this is where you just get right down to it. So I'll tell you, there are three things that I want you to do when I'm away. One, I want you to be more faithful to your church family than you've ever been before. I I hope you sense that God has led you here every bit as much as he's led your senior pastor here. You know, I'm even praying that church attendance will grow when I'm away. It'll be hard on my ego, but I'll be really, really happy about it. I want you to support and pray for Pastor Jeff Matisich, our lead ministry pastor, this remarkable leader that God has given us. Support him during these days when I'm gone. I, I will just tell you, I knew already, Jeff and I had already been working six years together before, Jeff, you walked into this role. And, and he, this man is a gifted, strategic leader, a godly leader. And so I pray for him, encourage him, support him. But I have so much confidence in what's going to happen here under, under Jeff's leadership. In fact, support and encourage all of the pastors. Encourage them in the way you always encourage me. Uh, some people say, don't you get nasty emails from us? I said, not many. Not many, maybe one out of a hundred. But even those haven't been bad. I get, I get really words of encouragement. And I get some really important questions, not easy ones always, but filled with respect. And I pray that you will just deal with our wonderful, wonderful pastoral staff in in the very same way. And so that's the first thing. I want you to be more faithful than ever before. Number two, um, I want you to make progress personally in your faith and doctrine while I'm away. And by those two words, faith and doctrine, I mean uh, knowing what's in this word, and uh, living and keeping with it. Both faith. It's a phrase that Paul used for Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15. Timothy, see to it that when people watch you, they'll see you making progress in faith and in doctrine. I really envision this fall is going to be a life-changing, life-directing time for you and for the life of our church as you study the essentials of the gospel. Um, we're going to do that from childhood through senior adulthood. And I really believe, if you'll do it, when I come back in November, I'm going to come back and see people who know the truth of the Lord more fully and follow Him more closely. 
I hope you'll see a pastor who does the same. Then number three, I want you to watch out for people who are hurting. Verse 35, it's just what I find permeating the life of Jesus and the early church is that they just took it for granted that anybody who has come to know the mercy of God, that when we see people who are hurting or alone, uh, we are going to extend ourselves to them. Uh, We're going to show love to them, and if God's given us resources, we're going to try to help meet those needs. Now, I've got to tell you this too. I see this quality just filling the hearts of the people in our church more than any other church I've ever been in. I've seen here among you a deep love for hurting people. It's one of the things that drew Chris and me here when we first came. I, I, I love that. And so, but I want you to make sure, even as Paul so, so uh, wonderfully uh, put it, the way I tried to live was always a sign to you that we have to watch out for those who are in distress. I want you to watch out for people who may be coming to church who sit alone or seem to be discouraged. Go ahead and have the courage to go up and occasionally pray for them. Uh, make sure that they are welcomed. When you see people in our neighborhood or community who are hurting, uh, to reach out in the name of Jesus. When you hear the news reports of tsunamis or, or things hitting, that you won't ignore those that come together and find out that there's something more we should do. So let, let's continue to have that just be the heartbeat uh, of our church. I really believe that when a church like ours is in a neighborhood like ours, and people know that there is a group of people where Jesus is the Lord, they will know that when they're hurting, they don't have to walk alone because God's people are there. All right, my message has been just about as disjointed as Paul's was to them, I think. Tried to organize it carefully, but uh, these are the things I wanted to say to you. I love the church, DV, Lord willing, I'll be back here in three months. It's not that long. And I'm going to close with the words Jeremy and Vanessa. I saw you sitting right up here in front. uh, Shared with me. Jacob, their uh, little boy, went out to kindergarten this week. And here's what they said. Jacob, we'll be back to pick you up soon. Before you know it, we'll see you again. So I tell you. Be more faithful to the church family than you ever have been. Continue to make progress in your faith and doctrine to love the Lord more deeply and to know Him more fully. Watch out for people who are hurting and in distress. And before you know it, we'll be together again. To His glory. Amen. Amen.